Hey guys, I'm Kelly Wolf, and this is the Flow Podcast. I feel like I have to clear something up. So when people hear the word flow, they always ask me, is this a yoga class or just something that can happen when you're surfing? But this flow stands for finding love over worry. And this podcast is all about the ways that you can have more flow in your life. On the Flow Podcast, I'm going to share my wisdom as a coach, a writer, a speaker, and a mama. I want to give you all the goods so that you can start your flow journey today. All right, let's get started. I have Scott Wolf on the podcast today. And if you did not know this, spoiler alert, he is my husband, my baby daddy, my best friend and just an all-around amazing human. I am going to try to do a thing when I have guests on the podcast that I know or have an intimate relationship with. I'm going to do a bio on them that I did not read and that I did not research and that I did not look up. And I'm going to see how well I do, but also what kind of other things I come up with that maybe you could never find on Wikipedia. So let me start off with, I think, the obvious things about Scott. He has been an actor. He's been in the um, acting world for almost 30 years, which is completely bananas. He grew up in Newton, Massachusetts and West Orange, New Jersey. And after he graduated from George Washington in finance, by the way, which is just an amazing story and why you should always follow your dreams no matter what your degree is in, he goes out to Los Angeles in his little beat up car and shows up and he starts to get work pretty quickly. He gets some commercial work, some pretty big spots. And he goes up, obviously, for Party of Five and gets the role of Bailey. So at this point, Scott is around 24 years old, but he's playing a 16-year-old, which is completely wild. He is currently on a show called Nancy Drew that you can see on HBO Max. The last time we lived in Vancouver, he was doing a show called V. Oh, my God. He's done so many television shows, I can't even list all of them. But things that you might not know, a movie he did a long time ago called White Squall with the amazing Jeff Bridges. My favorite, I think of all of them, is a movie called Go that was directed by Doug Lyman. Scott's done tons of Broadway. When we were dating, he did a show called, no, we were married. He did a show called Fat Pig with Chris Pine. He did a show called Observe the Sons of Ulster Marching Toward the Psalm with Justin Thoreau. And I don't know if we get to call him Tony Award winning. We'll find that out when I talk to him. But he was in a show that won the Tony, but I think he got on the show right after they won the Tony, but it's still a Tony Award winning show. So um, he also won the Golden Globe for Best Ensemble on Party of Five. Okay, those are all the things that you can probably find out on Wikipedia. Those are all the standard fair bio things. Here's the stuff I want to tell you. Scott is an amazing singer. In fact, he sang me a song when we were first dating that I'd say is one of the reasons that I am still with him. It was really powerful. He can't dance very well. Sorry, honey, I love you, but not the best. Um, But he can play the guitar, the drums. He's an incredible artist. He is so talented in so many of the arts categories. Like I told you, he graduated with his degree in finance from George Washington University. And the reason that he got into acting, which I think was his senior year of college, was because a family friend sent him a personal letter. This family friend had been an actor or in the entertainment industry and basically sent Scott an unsolicited letter saying that he thought he had the goods 
to do this craft, which if you know anything about the business, you don't say that lightly because you know how challenging it is. And I wanted to also tell you guys, I have a thing about telling people that kind of stuff. I've seen the magic that it can have with Scott and so many people that I know, but tell somebody, if, if you think somebody has a gift or is really talented in a certain category, please let them know. You never know where that's going to lead them in life. It goes without saying that I am pretty smitten with Mr. Wolf, but here is the thing about Scott. Scott is probably the best father that I have ever seen. And I know any of you listening who know us are sitting there nodding your head. (laughs) He has such a gift for being a dad. I mean, if that can even be a thing, then he got it. I learned so much of just watching him be a parent and how he navigates it. And he gives his love away with abundance and clarity. And it is so incredibly powerful. And I think my favorite thing on the entire planet is this thing that happens when Scott and the kids are like downstairs or they're in somewhere else in the room and this laughter. In fact, I had to just pause this recording because it just happened. This laughter that is so deep and so real and so powerful comes rumbling up from him and the kids. And he's just He's, he's his happiest self when he is with his family. He is a wonderful husband, a wonderful father, and my best friend. So without further ado, let's welcome Scott Wolf. I had a huge aha moment when I first started working with Joe at Blueberry Nutrition, and that is blueberry-nutrition.com. And when you go to their website, start by taking the quiz. It will give you an individualized program that's created just for you. So when I first started working with Joe, she had helped me find these small changes, these tiny habits that I could make for my overall health. At the time, I had been feeling dizzy and my blood pressure was low, and she really got to the root of the problem. Her whole method is to get you off of those vicious cycles of losing the same 20 pounds over and over again. Her method was designed to create lasting changes for you, changes that are doable, that come from small habit shifts. Go check out blueberry-nutrition.com and start your health journey today. Did you know that OG is an NSF certified organic skincare company? Because they are committed to a seed to skin approach That way you can know everything that you're putting on your skin is from the purest ingredients from the earth. I am a fan of all the OG products. My makeup bag looks like an OG makeup stand, (laughs) but my favorite right now is the sculpted face sticks. I love carnelian. It gives me this buildable, luminous, dewy glow, and I'm obsessed You guys can find OG on all major social platforms from YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram at OG. That's O-G-E-E. You can also go to their website, www.og.com, and check out all their products. They're stunning. You will love having them on your countertop. All right, guys, let's get glowing with OG. Hey, honey. Hey, honey. (laughs) So I was giving a bio about you that I thought people could not discover from Wikipedia. 
This was my personal bio. Okay. But I also gave some information that's Wikipedia strong, maybe, like Mm -hmm. you could find this out. Mm -hmm. Okay. One of the things that I wasn't sure about was how old were you when you played Bailey? Uh, I believe I was 24. Ding, ding, ding. You got that right? I did get that right. My other question was, that was it. Okay. Congratulations. Nailed it. I told them about the big arc of your career that you started out in commercials that you got on Party of Five pretty quickly, which was pretty amazing. And that somebody had sent you a letter, a family friend had sent you a letter Mm -hmm. that you had gone to school for finance. Yeah. Good? Yeah. You're you're killing it. Oh, this was my other question. Was when you did Sideman, was the Tony one the year before you were on or the year you were on? It was one while I was in the show, but that means that it was as a result of what happened before I was in the show. So I like to think that I continued the level of quality and storytelling and uh, effectiveness of that play. But yeah, it was it had been nominated before I jumped into it. So I actually got to present at the Tony Awards. The person I replaced in the play who was leaving to do other projects was Christian Slater. And so Christian and I, as two people playing Clifford in Sideman, he uh, outgoing me incoming, got to present a Tony Award that year. And it was pretty intense. We uh, we awarded Dame Judi Dench. She won wow. her category, uh, I'm assuming Best Actress. And she she came up to accept her award. And I kind of leaned in to like give her a kiss. You know, the the whole like, we're the presenters. We give you kind of like this. This is pre-COVID. But she's like a dame. So there's a whole other protocol for royalty that this kid from New Jersey knew not about. You're supposed to bow. Uh, something else other than what I was doing. And the energy was very clear. Like, stop doing what you're doing. And so I did. From here on out, I want you to treat me like a dame. I usually treat you like a You dad. do. You do. Yeah. Do you get to call yourself a Tony award-winning actor now? Or I know. how does that work? That doesn't work that way. Okay. Yeah. Warren Light, who wrote the play, is a Tony award-winning playwright. Would you say that your most esteemed award would be the Golden Globe? Um, wh- That's a loaded question, but you know what I'm saying. I suppose the more most sort of, yeah, sort of uh, well-known in the public sphere you know, Golden Globes are pretty well known, although they've come under heat of late. <laughs> but yeah, um, winning the Golden Globe for... But again, I wasn't... I didn't win as an actor. I was part of a show that won. So very much a part of it. And we have it in the living room, so it matters. But I... Side note, make Scott put his awards out, things like that. And I also... When we had... We had a, a theater room in our old house... And I had all of his movie posters framed and put them in the theater room, which he did not appreciate or like. But I think you learned to appreciate and like him because I'm really proud of all those things. But you're more, you don't want to like make a scene. Not really. No. I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like the the Golden Globe has lived in various different places. It's been in a washroom. You know, it's been in the bathroom. It's, it's been- never been a weapon. It's not, as far as we know, it's never been It would a make weapon. an amazing, I think, weapon for an intruder. Yeah, especially not the globy part, but the base. I have thought about has that. Has sharp corners. Me too. You have? Oh, yeah. I, I When I <laughs> lie awake at night and think if I hear somebody, we haven't had to use that as a weapon, which is good. Okay. This whole conversation. I, I also talked about in the bio how you are as a father mm-hmm. and how you are as a partner. Mm-hmm. And that I said those are not things that you could find on Wikipedia. That's pretty much only going to come from me. And that I feel like it is your truest calling 
and potentially your greatest, even though you don't get any awards. I, I think you get hugs and oh yeah, you get you get internal rewards mm-hmm. from and, from that. Yeah, but that I was sharing with everybody that probably one of the greatest joys of my life. There's a certain kind of laugh that you have where you have now gotten carried away. Like it has <laughs> pa- it has gone past you. It is outside of you. And I hear it often coming from you hanging out with the kids. And yeah. there is something about that that brings me such intense joy. And do you think that you felt that feeling, you know, the one I'm talking about prior to having kids? And if so, what brought that about? Mm, I don't know that I've ever felt this distinctly sort of boundless joy that I find in my family. I don't, I know, I, I don't know that I ever did. I mean, I, I enjoyed lots of parts of my life, but there's nothing quite like, I mean, we say this all the time, right? Like we would love our children, even if they were, you know, awful little turds, but they, they just happen to be our favorite human beings. You know, we're very lucky to like them so much. It's like, you know, this this past week at work, you know, everyone's like around, you know, talking about what are you going to do this weekend? You have any big plans? And and you were going to be off writing and I was just home alone with the three kids. And I was so looking forward to that. I was so excited about it and and it was fun to just say to these people like, yeah, no, I'm not I have no big plan. My plan is just to be with the kids, but they're just my favorite people and they just they make me laugh. They're they're just endlessly interesting to me. And they, you know, can bug the shit out of us and, and you know, make us yell and scream and be frustrated. But I just like them so much and love them so deeply that um no, I can't I can't think of it's a distant second to anything that else uh, anything else in my life that's ever brought me that kind of unbridled joy and laughter and happiness. And I suppose thinking back, you know, our so much of time of of our time together has been i just think we laugh a lot together and that's awesome and i think we always have and so i think back to so many memories we've had together and especially like our early dating life when we were just kind of running carefree through the world together that kind of joy that that was the beginning of this new level of joy that i've been lucky enough very 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 lucky to live with and and i don't take it for granted but I sort of take it for constant. I, I just take it. I appreciate it for granted. No. Maybe with maybe it's like it's a knowing. It's a knowing. Not even a, a taking anything for granted. It's because that is how I feel about you. That's how I feel about our relationship. It's a knowing. It's not something that I could define or that I have recognized from my past, even with my parents. Yeah, I have a knowing that that feels transcendent from something that I could understand. Yeah. And I think, you know, because I grew up in a house where things weren't like the house we have together here and things were more stressful and and you couldn't count on very much, I feel like this part of my life, I always knew was going to be the most important part of my life. Yeah. So that's a perfect segue to the first thing I wanted to ask you about. But I also want to add, because I think that this is true for both of us. Obviously, I work in the spiritual world and you typically, I think, get cast in maybe more serious or even more kind of like, you know, Scott's favorite thing to say is he played a doctor on TV to diagnose all of my issues. (laughs) Um, But that people don't know how funny you are or Mm -hmm. how funny I am, Mm -hmm. which I think is pretty funny. (laughs) Yeah. Because I think that we laugh so much in our household and so deeply. And I think one of our 
prideful things and maybe you shouldn't be prideful, but our prideful things is how funny our kids are. Yeah. Like we, we call that out a lot because we think that's pretty awesome. Like if you asked us, what's one of the things that we would most choose for our children, it would be that they have a sense of humor. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, yes, I, I would not want to be moving through this life without a sense of humor. Both my parents, especially my mom, for all of her struggles in this life, had an incredible sense of humor and passed that on to my brothers and I. And yes, the fact that our kids are genuinely funny people who appreciate humor. All who find our humor fairly funny, although Jackson is now cresting a hill of, um, we're not funny, we're more cringy. He's also getting high level humor, <clears throat> which I get such a kick out of. Yes, yes. Okay, so- Talking about your childhood, what I think is going to be fun is to take these interview episodes and go through decades. Don't worry, guys. We're not going to talk about the entire decade of anybody's life, but go through them in terms of decade. So obviously, one through 10 not doesn't have to be. So let's just talk about adolescence here. Mm -hmm. But you brought up your mom. You brought up, you know, she definitely had some struggles, which we know about. But if you had to categorize a little bit about um, that time of your life, mm -hmm. what would you say about it? And also, this is something that I don't think a lot of people know about you in particular. I, I have always felt this way. I think that there's a general idea. I, I was thinking about this and it's like, he's the guy that'll you know carry your garbage cans up for you or the kid who could never do anything wrong. You almost had this bucolic kind of idea that surrounds you all the time, this sort of energy. And not that you didn't have a... a an okay childhood, but I think it was much more complex, much more <laughs> intense than people would know. Mm -hmm. So here's the question, and then you can answer it how you want to. If there was a moment in your adolescence or your childhood where you had something that was scary, that created worry, that was overwhelming to you, and how you chose love over those things in those moments, how you didn't, possibly mm -hmm. in your adolescence, but I think you'll have to speak to a little bit about what your household felt like. Yeah. So I do feel like, I mean, you know, you were saying maybe starting out adolescence, but the one to 10 thing, not the one to five thing, but the five to 10 thing I have very distinct memories about because my mom who's since passed would have no problem with me saying that she was an alcoholic. And so um, her drinking got really bad during that time. My parents were divorced when I was about three, three and a half. And so my mom remarried. The guy she remarried was not, uh, did not win man of the year in any of the years that we knew him. It was a stressful house. There was, you know, there was, um, there was, there was just nothing. There was no real bedrock. You couldn't really count on much. Everything shifted. Everything depended on how the grownups were doing on a given day. And there was, you know, some violence. Didn't feel safe. There was a lot of worry. There was a lot of, there was a lot of worry. And finding love over that worry was tricky. And, you know, something I haven't, I don't, I haven't really talked about very much, but I think you know this and, and people may be very close to me know, but the way I coped as a very young kid, I remember being, you know, eight years old, nine years old. And I remember having this kind of realization one day and that I had told myself that if all the people that I knew, if all my family just went away one day, that I'd be okay. Mm. I would survive. I had everything I needed to be okay. And it gave me this real buoyant sense of calm 
you know, once I had somehow found a way to transcend this feeling of helplessness and fear and anxiety and worry, you know, my, my sort of way to find love weirdly at that moment was to empower myself through this idea of I don't, to, to untether myself from everyone around me. That took undoing, a lot of undoing for, you know, for the next 20 some odd years of my life because I had to find a way to reconnect and allow myself to to trust those relationships. When you say that also tempered some of the things moving forward, this is an interesting thing. And I think this is important for people to, to realize. One thing that helped you in a certain moment was not necessarily the same thing that helped you throughout your life, right? Which is kind of why I wanted to talk about things in forms of decades, because what we're going through in different developmental stages is always going to change. It's also going to change as to what's going on around you. So that, that strategy Mm -hmm. at that time was effective. But when you got into your twenties, you said, or you started to say, maybe it was less effective. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was, it went from something that was protecting me to something that was blocking me from being able to have the kinds of relationships that I knew I wanted in my life. Well, and that's a question that I wanted to ask people too, because I think that there's going to be lots of moments where we have chosen love over fear or love over worry. And then there's going to be lots of moments where we haven't. Mm -hmm. And what if upon reflection, what do we see about that, those times? And is that, would that be something that happened in your twenties where maybe you didn't choose the love over fear part. Well, I think, you know, if you look back at what I what happened when I was in those, you know, around 10 years old or so, I suppose you can make an argument that I was choosing I was making the only choice I I I knew how to make, right? Which was which was to protect myself from being vulnerable in a way that felt unsafe. Mm-hmm. Right? Cuz I think in in loving relationships, being vulnerable is essential to trust and to real fundamental connection with another human being. And so I I didn't feel like it was safe to be that vulnerable because I would get hurt. To protect myself from getting hurt, I decided those relationships don't have to really mean much to me. And then, you know, through my adolescence, I don't know that much of that shifted very much. You know, I think I was probably having any of any relationships that I was having with with um with friends felt like I was able to function well enough. And then my early I think uh relationships with women were probably they were immature relationships and and in many ways they were probably affected by this kind of stance that I had assumed in life. And then a moment happened, yeah, in my 20s where I started just seeing these patterns of behavior where I was kind of keeping people, holding people at bay and not really allowing myself to really love or be loved. And so there was probably a period of time where I didn't fully recognize what was happening. But once I did, once it became clear to me, I knew that, like you said, that this this thing that had served me for a period of time when I was a kid and sort of knew no other way out of the anxiety and the risk that I was feeling, the bad sort of side of vulnerability. Once I was able to recognize that sort of stance that I had with kind of both fists up in front of my face, just waiting to find the person who was looking to hurt me, 
um, once I realized that was going to keep me from really having the kinds of relationships I wanted in my life and be the person I wanted to be, then I sort of tried to start set. I set about trying to change course. And that was very, very, very difficult. And it was a long process. And when you say you set about trying to change course, what did you do? I was doing uh, therapy at the time. So I got, I had someone recommend a really great therapist, started working with a therapist and, and was approaching it intellectually soundly. Like I knew the dynamic, I was aware of the dynamic. I, I could sort of track back to where it came from. All these things we're talking about, but there was a big, big leap that I didn't fully understand between an intellectual understanding of my stance and a desire to change that stance and what it would really take to let all of the things that were so woven into my being that felt like survival mechanisms for me, to really let that go took way more than I could have imagined. I I kind of, you know, I'm a pretty productive guy. I, I was like, give me nine months with some psychotherapist and I'll, I'll kick this thing's ass. And it was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. It's ongoing, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, how do you, <laughs> how do you unpack, unwind? How do you let your fists drop mm. and really allow yourself to be vulnerable in ways that you've never believed are possible? I would make the argument that something like that is probably the hardest, if not it, well, I mean, it is the hardest, and I think the most often not cared for part of most people, because whatever saved your life, especially in your youth or your adolescence or your childhood, is typically the hardest thing to ever let go of, and most people don't. In fact, I don't think most people don't even know about whatever that is. Yeah. And they can fully function. You could have been in a relationship your whole life. You could have had a marriage and children and all the things without having to have let that thing go away. Yeah. But I think you made a choice, which yeah. is a huge recognition that people can have about these kinds of things, that you are making a choice. You are making a conscious choice to do it differently. Are you celebrating the moments of your life, the big and small moments of your life? Because our friends at 1111 Wines believe in just that. In fact, their tagline is make your moment. You guys, I've been a fan of 1111 Wines for years. They are a luxury wine brand. They have one of the top winemakers in the world, Kirk Van Gay, and they believe deeply in the power of connection. 1111 has so much to offer. You can be a wine club member, which gives you incredible perks, one of which is priority booking in their incredible vineyard house. Guys, I booked it last year and did it to mark a really special occasion in my life, and I will never forget it. So the next time that you want to make a moment in your life, consider giving the gift of 1111 wines to someone that you love, or give it to yourself. Sign up for the wine club, go to their website at 1111wines.com and be ready to make your moment. One of the things I get asked about the most are recommendations for coaches in different niche areas. I have a coach who I recommend to all parents who have found themselves feeling like they are alone in their parenting journey because their child was born in a way that they didn't expect. Margaret Webb Life Coaching is a true unicorn, you guys. 
She is a master certified life coach. She is certified nature-based coach. She is a former teacher, but her most important journey and job on this life was being a mother to her 17-year-old son who is on the autism spectrum. She works with parents who feel incredibly alone in their journey with a child that they didn't expect. And she wants to remind those parents that not only are they not alone, but there are things that they can do to bring ease and joy in their life that they may have never considered. I call Margaret a friend. She is a profoundly gifted coach. And if you have found yourself on this journey, I would not hesitate to reach out to her. Go to margaretweblifecoach.com and that is web with two Bs. And I promise that this will change the journey for you. And I think that part of the way that I found myself to a place where the choice was allowed to really come to fruition was when, because I went through a long period of time where I just was frustrated. I was frustrated that I was this person who was locked in this, like this sort of self-made prison and frustrated by it. And just like wanting to just smash it down and just be done with it. And I was I was I was mad and and that that I was behaving this way and couldn't figure out a, a way not to and it took actually taking a step back and having this full understanding of the fact that this thing might not be working right now. This thing might be in the way today. But there was a time where this really f- saved your life and kept you going. In a way, I I found myself sort of having to kind of turn backwards and kind of say, thank you. Mm. Thank you to this thing. Thank you to that boy that figured this thing out and sort of say, I, 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 I've got it now. We don't need to do that anymore. But thank you and well done. And you did it. Don't you think that boy, which that's powerful, by the way, but don't you think that boy is also the boy that was able to get in your little crappy car and leave New Jersey and drive all the way to California and pursue a career in a thing that most people would say it's 0.001% of the people that make it. I mean, if somebody asked me in your flow journey of your life, what's one of the one things I'd say, that's definitely one of the one things when you got in this car and what you had a degree in finance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, tell, tell me a little bit about that moment too, about what it took to get the moxie and the bravery to go pursue this dream. Well, I mean, thinking back to my, my, in my adolescence, like when I was in high school and, you know, there was all this, whatever, home stuff that was what it was. And I always just had this weird sense. I, I don't know how to describe it or, or say where it came from. I just had it. I always had this knowing that the walls of this house, the walls of this town, it was that kind of proverbial, like this place can't hold on to me. You know, I'm here for something more. I always knew I was here for something more. You know, whether that was, you know, the insane psychological ramblings of a of a, you know, anxious kid or I was in contact with something beyond my understanding at that time, but it it took good care of me. It always has. I feel like that that sense of um being of service to a bigger purpose has always carried me along. In well, my and the courage to answer the call. Is well, no small thing. Sure. And that, a yes. lot of people would say, I have a feeling and I know something, but I think 
it's taking the action. It's having the courage to then act on that feeling. Yeah. I think that is um, something I'm grateful that was able to do. And and I feel like- I think you, all, you, you continue to do that. You know, I think my mom had something to do with that. You know, both my parents have had strong influences on me. I think my mom, having wanted to be an artist as a, as a young woman and being steered away from it by her parents, I think one of her sort of parental missions was doing the opposite with us and setting our dreams in motion and on fire and, and encouraging us. And she, you know, for all of her struggles personally, you know, for how tough she could be on herself, um, she was always our number one fan. I would always watch her with all three of you. Scott has two brothers, all of which you guys pursued careers in the arts and the way she championed all of you in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I always noticed that as being something that was rare and and took that as something I want to do for our kids. Yeah. And I really admired that in her. So if you were going to go back to that moment where you're in your 20s and you really recognize how much this past control had saved you and helped you, but now it was no longer serving you. Is there a moment, is there a time where you knew that it had shifted and you're smiling at me? Because <laughs> it's a you leading question. But I have to interview like a No, I know, up. I know. But it is one of my favorite. Um, but this is a story. I mean, this is a, this is a moment. I'll let you tell. Yeah. You, you have to tell this story. Okay. But I'd love to hear, you know, you've never really chimed in. You've always let me tell this story whenever I've told it. And I don't tell it often because it's obviously deeply personal, but worth One of the reasons that I also usually don't chime in is because any kind of watershed experience like that, that is so deeply spiritual, I was there, but it was yours. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I've had my own Mm -hmm. in different ways throughout our relationship and in my life, but that without a question was something that was yours. Although, and we'll get to this, I think you had, you your your journey came to a very specific head at that moment as well. Matter of fact, I believe it's what caused mine. And I'll, we'll, let's talk about that now. So- I can see that. So basically, you know, cut to us having dated for, I don't know, six months, five months, six months, seven months, eight months, somewhere in there, living in New York City. We were- you know, very much falling for each other, I think. But um, it was still very much a dating thing. We weren't, you know, we were not engaged. We were not even talking about that yet. And I was simultaneously really working on this this whole sort of, you know, breaking down the walls that I had built around myself and seeing how toxic they allowed me to be in in relationships at times, you know, because this idea that I had no way to trust, to really trust, there was always this sense of like, is this person going to be the one that doesn't wind up like failing when push comes to shove and life gets hard? And, you know, are they going to hurt me? Are they going to whatever, whatever version of it was, whether are they going to cheat? Are they going to like, what version of life is going to make this come at my expense because I'm vulnerable because I like this person. So having gone through however many versions of that throughout my dating life, I had been in earnest living in New York City, and that's where we met, been working with a therapist and and been like trying to sort of chip away at this thing. And I do believe I was making progress. I was chipping away at it. But the 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 grip of it was strong. And I I was not able to really 
be in a relationship at that time in the way that I knew I wanted to be. We were we were dating and this this one particular night happens. And I think the manifestation of my lack of trust would come in these like jabby moments and comments and sort of undermining things that were sort of wasn't about undermining your confidence or your sense of yourself. It was more just checking your kind of reliability and your, you know, your ability to stand up under pressure. And the big idea, I think, which is very dark and I'm not proud of it, but the idea was like, if you poke and poke and poke and someone falls down, well, then they were a person who falls down and and then how can you trust that person? And now you have permission to leave. And then you have permission to leave, right. And that was that was sort of my MO. And so unfortunately, I was poking and poking and poking. As I recall, we had both kind of progressed a lot farther than we had in a while. You had come out of a relationship a little while earlier. If I can be so bold as to say, I think one of your things that you carried with you was somehow never really being seen for who you really are. And just misunderstood, not, you know, somehow the depth and the breadth and everything you are just not being fully appreciated, seen, embraced. And we had gotten, I think, to a point in our relationship where it felt like that was happening, right? For both of us on this one given night. And it probably came on the heels of a few other nights and a few other days and a few other comments. And, but we got to this point where I just First, I lost a little bit of control and just started to kind of poke harder and harder and harder until we got into this huge fight and you were incredibly upset. And then your upset tipped into this place that I, you know, we hadn't seen each other. And there was this vulnerability about you and you expressed in some way to me that you were just heartbroken and there was this sense of, I think you might have even said, I thought you really saw me. I thought you really saw me. And like, I can start bowling right now. <laughs> um, and you said, this is it. We're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. And we went back to the apartment and you were literally packing your stuff to go. And the only way I can describe what happened next is what I knew was unfolding, what was happening in that moment was my best life was packing its bags and leaving my best chance to have true love, to find a a depth of love and happiness and life that I had maybe started to, you know, scale back my expectations on. And I knew that any small measure wasn't going to accomplish saving it. The only thing that was going to keep you in that room was if I took this crazy building that I had assembled to protect myself over all these years and just smashed it down all at once and laid bare myself and promised to never again treat you any of those ways, to never be a slave to that old way of thinking, to, to from that moment forward give you my true self, accept your true self, and go forward with that sense of trust and love and 
real vulnerability. I don't remember a lot of details of what got said. I just remember feeling like I was smashing down an old building that I wanted nothing to do with anymore. And that I knew was if I held on to one piece of it, that you were gone. Because I knew you were someone who would know the difference. And I think the reason that moment was allowed to happen was because of who you are and how much I loved you and how much I knew about how much I believed in the life we could live together. That was unique in my entire life at that point. It was the first time that the building didn't matter to me more than what I was seeing happen in front of me. I mean, <laughs> I'm trying not to cry <laughs> over here. There, there's so many things about this that are so profound to me. The one that just overflows in me is that stayed. I we we have been together for 18 years mm-hmm. and I have not seen that thing come back. Mm-mm. Which I I can honestly say as a person who's worked in this world for as long as I have, I don't think I've ever seen that before. It's like it's like the movie version of of that. But that deep whatever that was, whatever like you said, it was a service to you, and I believe that it was, but it really left the building and mm. has not ever come back. No. So at that time, for me, I had gotten out of a relationship that really challenged my sense of self and really made me question myself in a lot of ways. And when I left that previous relationship, I had made this personal promise that I would never let that happen again. The second I felt the feeling, I wouldn't tell it to go away and just shut up and go sit in the corner, that I would listen to it and 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 trust it and do what I had to do. And I remember that day, I mean, it makes me want to cry. I, I, was, I was so, so sad because I knew that I was going to leave what I also knew, but I was going to leave. And you were right. I mean, it was going to kill me. It was going to rip my heart out of my body, but... I think you could feel my conviction and I could feel my conviction and it was scary to me. Yeah. But until this, and it sounds dramatic, it was dramatic. It was. I mean, it was truly dramatic. There was no pomp and circumstance to it. It was probably one of the cleanest moments of my life when it comes to vulnerability. Like Mm. nobody was play acting or doing anything. There was no affect. It was just real and raw and I believe that that piece was the most profound foundation that two people could have laid down for a relationship. Hmm. And we've stayed true to it. Yeah. I think in so many ways. I agree. I agree. And so, yeah, I, I feel like the concept of flow, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in terms of finding love over worry... There it is. There it is. I mean, that was the most important moment in my life. There's just not a more important moment that I've ever experienced. Yeah, I think to your point, yeah, I could have I could have found another reason to run and hide. I didn't. And and that had everything to do with I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons why that happens. I had prepared myself in some ways for that moment. By the work that I was doing, my, my intention was to progress in that direction. But I think I was so lucky 
to have met you and to have you be that person in that room that night so that, again, I, I was lucky to have found real love. And when I saw that that love going away because of this worry, because of this age-old worry that like, well, what if something goes wrong? What if something bad happens? What if this person hurts me? What if, I, I don't know, all the what ifs. And the fact that I was able to in that night, you know, thankfully through the bond that we share, find my way to to be able to choose love in that moment was, you know, the beginning of the rest of my life, which has been, you know, more than I could have ever hoped and dreamed for. I feel the same way. There's something that just struck me about that moment. And this is where I think this could help people too, is both of us. There's something in that moment that I think could really help people too, which is I could have chosen to go back to that small me that had survived in relationships previously because I I knew how to do that. I knew how to decide that, yeah, you know, this is what this is going to be and that's okay because gosh, there sure are a lot of great things. And so why not keep rolling? I had always done that. So that was my, re- I, I had that locked and loaded. Mm-hmm. So I had to make this choice. You had to make this choice. But I think if we wanted to rewind and replay that in a different way, the same script, we both could have decided to stay the, the old ways that we were. I could have said, go ahead and poke at me because I'm kind of used to that. And I'll just keep trying to shape shift to appease whatever these are. And you could have just kept poking me. We could have, we could literally be here 18 years later, still doing that. Mm-hmm. Cause I, you see that happen all the time in friendships and relationships where people just decide to allow their smaller self be their self through right. the course of the whole thing. And I think about that moment and how grateful, I mean, how painful, but also how grateful that everything that state that, that lead led up to it, led up to it the way that it did. Right. Yeah. Okay, and I also want to say this to people because, <laughs> and like every time I think this or say this, I feel like, oh God, that's kind of annoying. And a lot of the times in our relationship, you have told me this. You're like, Kel- I used to do a thing and Scott would call me out on it where I would kind of like diminish something so other people wouldn't feel bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know? yeah. And I would straight up make something up. I mean, I think, right? You've you've mentioned that to me. Like yeah. I would say something- You would invent a, struggles. I would invent- <laughs> I would invent struggles because somewhere in my history, you weren't going to like me. You weren't going to love me. You weren't going to stick around if I shined the brightest way that I could. So I should. I was better to be made small. I was better to be made flawed. That's what I felt like was my way to do something. Mm-hmm. And you would always, we'd get in the car after a dinner or something. You'd be like, what, what was that? Yeah. Like, what are you even talking about? Right. And so when I, what I'm about to say (laughs) is triggering that like, oh my God, don't say this amazing thing. When people ask me if this relationship is what they think it is, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. There's no relationship on planet earth that is not flawed or or it doesn't have some stuff that people have to overcome. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to say, I didn't even know a relationship like this was possible. Mm -hmm. I don't think I really understood that. I don't think I've ever been loved the way that you love me. And I hope 
that I love you the way that you deserve to be loved. And that that includes that we get annoyed with each other and somebody leaves the toilet seat up and we have our irritations and Scott's late all the time and I get crazy before <laughs> my period and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like all that's very real and, and true. But there's something so honest about who we are with each other and that I want people to use that as like a light post, you know, not as like you brats, but yeah. as yes, yes, you can. You know, yes, you can. And that I would maybe say that that moment was the hardest. And of course, there have been, you know, things in between. But I think we also committed early on to work on stuff and to not let things roll by when stuff got funky. Yeah, but you've been you spearheaded, I would say, most of that in terms of I have no choice. The credit I would give myself is that I'm always a willing participant. I'm always game. I don't ever shy away from conversation, a feeling, a thought, a confrontation, but you're the person who keeps better track of where we are. And well, I might be more likely to call it out if something's up, Yeah, but some of that's just your personality. You have a very flowy personality. You, you, you don't get stuck often, or I don't see you get stuck often. I mean, one thing Scott told me early on when I first met him and I was, I had moved to New York to pursue broadcast journalism. He was obviously a very you know, um, accomplished and known actor. And I'm like, how do you do this? You know, and you, you said you have to be okay with rejection. You just have to, mm-hmm. like, you can't keep thinking about it. And I would watch you go in rooms and get rejected all the time mm-hmm. and come back out and we would just go get beers. Like it wasn't yeah. a thing. It was no, <laughs> you weren't like, Oh God, you know, in a corner. And yeah. that's, that was me. I'm like, Oh no, what have I done? I mean, yesterday I even thought about an audition I had where I was like, <gasps> You know, this gasp of like my shame and embarrassment at something. And I've seen you do it thousands of times over and over. So you have a tendency to kind of go with it where I'm maybe a more empathic and I'm seeing like five layers deep of something was off over there and we should talk about it. So those two things combined, you're not angsty, (laughs) right? you know, and I'm hyper aware. Yeah. But you need two willing players, I think, to have... Yeah, to have a relationship be really, 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 really great. Yeah, it's because, like you said, there's always going to be stuff. Life happens and and throws a lot at you. And I feel like if if we do one thing pretty well, thankfully, we just see all the big stuff in a pretty similar way. You know, we don't struggle when it comes to big kind of issues of how we want to live our lives or parent our kids. And I feel like that helps a lot. So just having a similar sensibility. But but yeah. Our willingness to kind of keep communication going, never shut each other down. What did my dad say to us one time? Man, you guys like to talk. Ah, yeah. Okay, so speaking of, because now we're going to have a really long episode, but that's okay with me. If you, we're going to wrap up into the end, sort of, let's call it like 20 years. But if you in the last, maybe since having children, what have you experienced in terms of flow and overcoming worry and concern Maybe as you're in your parenting life. Oh, um, well, Lord, I mean, I feel like, you know, because being a dad and, and who these children are to me and to us is everything, there's an incredible amount of vulnerability that comes with that. You know, I just, I kind of close my eyes at night and I think I say, thank you. I say it until I forgot that I started saying it. I'm just so grateful for their health and their well-being. And I don't take it for granted. And that's why I think I sort of bury myself in gratitude morning and night. You know, I, th- I think there's a zillion things to worry about. You know, if you if you wanted to, 
sit around and and consume yourself with all the things that could go badly for one of your kids. How, in one how way or do another. you do that though? Like, how do you? And I'm just thinking about from the moment they walk out the door, yeah, that, that feels vulnerable, all the way up to somebody's being mean to them at school, all the way up to they got in a car. I mean, whatever. I mean, there's a gazillion things that happen when your heart's walking outside of your body. Right. But what do you do to keep yourself in check so that you don't, you know, go crazy when it comes to kids outside living their life? Yeah. I mean, look, I have my moments for sure. Right. You know, I think if you, if you videotaped me day in and day out and I watched it back, I'd probably see all kinds of kind of helicopter behavior that I'm not even aware of. Cause just, cause I'm, I am concerned and I do love them so much, but I like to think that I don't know. I, I, I just think it's my not my nature to focus on all of those things. I'm aware that they're there. I have a good imagination. I can, you know, I have these flashes of something happening or this or that or the other thing and shake those off. And again, just have a moment of gratitude after that feels like it sort of cleanses that thought. So I just think, I think the way I I find myself, if I can stay in this mindset of not taking our health, our safety, any of it for granted, then I find myself just being connected to how grateful I am. It's one thing, it it always, I used to think like, you know, it, it always takes getting sick or hurt to appreciate your health sometimes, right? And I think that way about our kids. I don't want to take their well-being for granted until for something happens. And so I appreciate it all constantly. And somehow, I don't know if that makes any sense, but somehow that keeps me from obsessing about all the things I could worry about. I just don't do it. I'm nodding my head aggressively because that would be the definition of using gratitude. It would be the definition of mindfulness that if you're, like you're saying, when you're in this kind of constant state of holy mother, you know, I love these people and this life is so amazing. And, you know, that's one thing. That's I, finding love over that's worry. That's finding love over worry. That's flow but, and, people. And I notice you a lot depending on us. And I would say about maybe career stuff or even like money stuff where you just, you, you always go back to look at this amazing life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like whatever the the big problem is that really is a, a touchstone for you that I witness as your wife all the time. So we're going to end. Thank you. You're welcome. Your and I, I just wanted to add the thought though, that the one thing that I feel like in, in, in terms of when you've coached me throughout the course of our life together, that idea of, you know, being consumed by the things, the external things that you either are hoping happen, don't happen, all that worry. You know, every time you have grounded me in the love part, in the appreciation, in the trust, all of those things that the things that are heading towards you are going to are gonna find their way to you unless you're blocking them and all that kind of stuff. And it sounds, I know we get into these conversations where it's like gets all woo-woo, but the way I've seen it work in my life um, the way I've applied some of the things that you've sort of coached me through, helped me see. Um, it's crazy how how these things just work. It's not always because life is going to surprise us all. And, and, you know, again, we only have so much say in the things that happen to us and things that don't. But, but I do find that every time I have through our work together, 
let go of some worry thought about something that I'm hoping that it happens. And I truly just let it go and and get back into whatever sort of connection and immediate thing I can focus my attention on that is that is releasing myself from that worry. That thing resolves itself. Sometimes literally like, okay, knock on the door the second later. It's literally happened that fast. And so uh, I appreciate all of your guidance that you've provided for me over these 17 years we've been together. And I'm excited that all of that wisdom and intuition uh, and compassion gets to be shared with the world now. Thank you, honey. And I feel the same way about you. And we should do a whole episode of those weird, not weird, like magical, what do we even want to call them moments Mm -hmm. where you, you have the recognition, you let go, you choose gratitude and love instead. And then, I mean, we have so many, it's kind of bananas. I mean, the one I just described literally literally a call. (laughs) Like, okay, thank you. Thank you. I totally got really, you really have it. I really have it. Yeah. Scott? Yeah. Like, open the door and here's the thing. Yes. I mean, it's funny because it's hard to like really say that because I, and I'm really careful about this, the whole manifestation movement and all that kind of stuff, because I think it has to be grounded in reality and it has to be grounded and rooted in something. But when it's rooted in a commitment to do that kind of work over and over and over again, so it becomes a default for somebody, it's just bonkers what occurs it's just too much we we need to like we need to write them down i actually use this metaphor today that if you move to say southern california and you know that there's earthquakes there all the time so you know things are going to happen like intense things are going to happen but you built a house without earthquake standards and then an earthquake comes and knocks the house down well i mean what do you expect mm-hmm. but if you know that there's an earthquake which is there's always going to be stuff in life. There's always going to be roadblocks. There's always going to be hard things. And if you know that and you work hard on that foundation, they don't knock your house down. Mm. They just don't. The house just jiggles a little and then you continue on (laughs) about your business, right? Right. So I think for me, it's why I'm so driven by this and it's so important because I know deeply that life's always going to throw really big, hard things mm-hmm. at you. And I I have learned it when I didn't have a good foundation and learned it when I did have a good foundation. And boy, I'd prefer B over A. Okay, so every episode, I'm doing a thing called the three M's minute. Okay. Let's find out if Scott knows what the three M's are. Dun, dun, dun. Munch, move, meditate. Yay! Hallelujah. <laughs> you get a gold medal. Oh, you get a golden globe. I'll go get it for you from downstairs. <laughs> I'm going to ask you mm-hmm. today. So what I've been saying is my things that I did in the day. So I'm like, what did I have for breakfast? What was my exercise today? And what what meditation or even, it doesn't have to be om meditation, but what moment of clarity, what moment of reflection occurred to you in this day? So start with, what did you have for breakfast? Um, for breakfast, I had overnight oats at work. I was over at the set today. And the the craft service people have these overnight oats that are feel healthy and filling, and um, they're pretty good. Yeah, and a cu- and some coffee. I had a couple cups of coffee. I think I might know the answer to this, so I'm, I don't feel like I want to call you out because you do this every single day. But I don't think you got your workout in yet, right? I didn't. Um, I can always tell because you've got a certain. Yeah, but my move is pretty standard issue. Yeah. It, it alternates through the week, but I try and exercise every day. 
Yeah. Or six days a week. And anyway. it shows, I mean, not, sh- I don't, I'm not talking about physicality guys. I mean, yes too, but it shows in your, you're way happier when oh, you yeah. Have yeah. your, get your workout yeah. in. Even, we the kid, all are. even the kids know that. <laughs> and I am too. Yeah. I'm a wackadoo if I don't get my walk in, right? I mean, yep. that's so, so important. So meditation again, doesn't have to be, how did you meditate today? But the other day, mine was, I had watched this woodpecker for quite a while and a woodpecker look, it looks like it's banging its head against the tree, mm-hmm. but it's actually doing the same thing on repeat so that it can get to the nourishment. Mm. And that sometimes even if something feels like that, there's what's on the other side of it that you might not remember. So that was my meditation for that day. Mm. So if you had one from today, or if you actually meditated today, what did you do? And I didn't meditate today. I think- I had the kind of I had a very scrambly day where I was getting a lot of things done. As you know, I'm I'm sort of shadowing some of the directors on the show I'm working on right now, and so I was going over there to um, to shadow our our current director. I did have a, the the thing that came to mind was this morning I went in to wake up Lucy, and she was still pretty asleep and pretty being the operative word there. <laughs> She's so cute. <laughs> She's so cute. And so I kind of stirred her awake and she wasn't waking up. And But I just sat and looked at her for like a minute in the quiet and just appreciated, you know, how how much I love her, how, how beautiful she is sleeping and awake. But yeah, I think little moments, you've taught me a lot about that too, which is like, it's easy to think of meditate as, okay, carve out an hour or 20 minutes even of your day and sit and quiet and do that whole thing but you you for a long time we we both trained in tm a number of years ago but you do these little kind of micro meditations where you just take 30 seconds in your car a minute and i've taken that to heart and so that that does wind up being a moment where it's like i'm making breakfast i'm getting the boys dressed i'm you know come to wake lucy up and then oh here's this minute where i can decide to just breathe and take her in and listen to the nothing or just her breath. (laughs) And so that was my morning meditation today. That's wonderful. And yes, that moment where you just stop and whatever the thing is for you. I mean, I know for us, it's our kids a lot, but to really become present even for that brief moment is, is a really powerful thing. And it's a really powerful thing for your spirit and your mind, your body, everything. And I feel like I don't do it often enough. I, I, I meditate as I can and my practice isn't what it should be probably or what I want it to be but to give yourself permission to just stop it's harder and harder and harder you know life is so busy but so yeah it's 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 always worth it so the last thing is we do also because people these are this is always for my ogs in flow land okay because they have all noticed that I don't cook as much um on instagram which has a lot of things, but it's okay. I'm actually so okay with it because I had just gotten to be too much in my life. But um, I ask everybody what's for dinner tonight. So this, my, my hope is when I ask that, isn't it hilarious that I'm asking you? Because what are you about to do? I'm about to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is for dinner tonight? Tonight is going to be a turkey kale brown rice soup that is from Giada De Laurentiis' cookbook called good food oh yum i love that soup i think that before something like that um and then probably tonight because we have a very busy night lots of things with the kids we are gonna have mac and cheese and sliced cucumbers for them okay (laughs) 
Scott, thank you. Thank you, honey. I love I you. I love you. I love you too. So much. Congratulations. Congratulations. Congratulations <laughs> on your podcast. Oh my gosh, what an incredible episode that was. That was such a gift to have that conversation with Scott. And I was thinking about how incredible that we have that documented, that our kids can hear those stories someday. I mean, what what a gift. And you guys, if you are loving this podcast, it would be so great if you would make sure that you are subscribed. And if you want to leave a review or rate it, that is really amazing. And I would be so, so grateful. And also, you know, take a picture and share it on your social media. Don't forget to tag me. I am at Kelly Wolf so that I can repost and tell your friends about it. Our hope here is that we can bring this information and share this wisdom and share this love with as many people as possible. We are so happy that you are here.